Ephesians chapter 4, from which we'll be reading this morning and considering a message that is a continuation of our vision of heritage as we renew our vision for 2020 for the next decade or so, continuing to grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord Jesus and what he has for his church, trusting that he brings us into conformity with all of these things. Ephesians 4, I'm going to focus in one section of this, but the entire chapter is relevant, so I'm going to read beginning at verse 1 through the entire chapter. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of your calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended. What does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all heavens that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come into the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard of him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, putting away lying, let each of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin, and do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who steals steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. Let no corrupt Word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for the necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. Our gracious Father and Lord Jesus Christ, who is the head of the body, the church, grant your spirit and fullness, and pray, Holy Spirit, you would guide us in this text and in the meaning of this calling that we have, this great and high calling, and square us up with the truth, because when we know the truth, the truth will set us free. So wash us today and sanctify us in the washing of the word and cleanse us to make us a bride 
without spot or blemish or any such thing. And grant, O Lord, your Spirit to be working in our individual hearts, conforming us into the image of Christ as we grow from glory to glory in his likeness. So we pray this for his name, and we pray this in his name. Amen. You may be seated. A common problem with Christians is a failure to see how life today is connected to the life that is to come. There's such a disconnect between what I do today with what will come about in the new heavens and the new earth that many Christians don't think the two are connected in any way. One of the problems that I see with Christians, and it's been true in my own life, is to see um, a lack of connection between what I do, even in my sanctification, now with what will happen when Christ comes back. In other words, why go through all the fuss of my sanctification if one day I will be glorified and made perfect anyway? But the two are directly connected. And how we live today is important, and it is connected to that future life of glory in the new heavens and the new earth. And when you don't have a theological connection between the here and the now and the new heavens and the new earth in its consummated form, you will wrestle with questions like, well, what am I about? What am I to be about in this life? What am I to do? How can I truly have an impact on this world in which I live? What is my purpose in life? How can I make a difference? Who am I? What is my identity? Why does it matter anyway? But the answer to those questions is as much about our church's vision as anything. As I give a brief recap from last Lord's Day, when we took a broader look from our place in the grand narrative of God's story, beginning in the garden and creation and ending in the consummation of a garden city of the new heavens and the new earth, we can see where it was all going from the very beginning. A trajectory had already been set. And we see this telos, this, this completion this perfection in Revelation 21 and 22 when the church, the new heavenly Jerusalem, and the heavens come down to the earth and the two merge together so that heaven is not some distant way off over there. Heaven comes down to the earth and our resurrection finds great meaning here. The vision in those last two chapters brings into view the final vision of where it's all heading as the kingdom comes into its final glory, but is not yet finished, see. But we must remember that the kingdom of God has already come to this earth in Jesus. We are not waiting for the kingdom of God to come. Christ is reigning, and He is reigning at the Father's right hand here on the earth through His people, the church, so that He can say and give us the great commission with great success and knowledge that all authority has been given to Him in heaven and on earth. Go, I have made you successful to disciple all of the nations. But that nature of the kingdom first works in the hearts of his people. He would tell his disciples, the kingdom is within you. When is the kingdom coming? The kingdom has come in the presence of the king. And the kingdom is within you. And then that kingdom works its way outward through the people's lives in and through God's kingdom people to spread His glory throughout all of the earth so that as Habakkuk prophesied, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the seas. 
That's been going on now for 2,000 years, and it continues in our present day. We saw last Lord's Day that we are called to be both priests and kings, a royal priesthood. These twin vocations of ours engages our activity in reigning and worship. As rulers, we take God's generous, wise counsel and His beauteous glory out into the world. As priests, we gather up all of creation's praise and bring it into the sanctuary, the temple, the church. And offer up to God the grateful praise of all of creation. And we stand in the gap to intercede for this world, the world that Christ loves. From the vision of where all this is going, we see a new heavens and the new earth, and we see characteristics of justice and beauty. Justice, in a broad sense of the word, is making everything right that is wrong. And we see in that grand city, a city just with great, splendid, glorious beauty. And the central thing in this grand dwelling is God Himself. Illuminated with glory light. As kings and priests, we are called to generate justice, to live redemptively in life, and and beautify everything that we do in every place we go. An elder friend of mine was over at my house this week, and we were walking from my office back to the house. And he reaches down and picks up a piece of trash, and he says, I'm going to live redemptively which then prompted me to reach over there and pick something up that was out of place, and it was catching, right? That's a small little way in which we beautify every place we go, because every place that Jesus went, he always left it more beautiful. He always left it better than when he came. That was his mission. That's his purpose, because he loves this world, and he loves his people. But the essential thing in order for us to generate this justice and beauty as kings and priests comes from the greatest activity that your life needs to be about, and that is your Christian calling. In that Christian calling that the apostle says here in verse 1, that you walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. That is not speaking about your vocation as your job. That is not even speaking about your role as a wife. Although both of those are included in the broader sense, in the very specific sense, I should say, even of your Christian call, and that is about building your Christian character. Your character will do more in transforming this fallen world than anything else that you can do. And I want you to own that fact. That's the emphasis that Scripture places. Let me just ask you as you think about that for just a moment. If you can think about problems in your life or your family's life or problems in some place in the world that you see, Is not the answer to those problems Christian character? Would your marriage not be better if it were not for some character issue in your life? Could your marriage be better if you grew in godly character? Could those problems that we've even prayed about now, would they even be there if there was godly character? To see what I'm suggesting here, that your character will do more in transforming this fallen world than anything else that you can do. I'm not minimizing the other things, but we've got to get first things first. You're going to have to take a very long-term vision that will go against the grain of how we live in a very instantaneous society. 
part of our vision is a very long-term vision. To change both your own character and the worlds around you is going to take time and it will take hard work. But there's no substitute for it and there's no shortcut to it. Godly character is what will change the world. Our godly character will be that which transforms the world more than anything else we can do. Christ's kingdom is a scepter of righteousness and we become instruments of righteousness. We can legislate against abortion, which is a good thing, or, and I'm not putting these against each other, take the desire right out of the hearts of the people to ever have one in the first place. One will give a short-term fix to the problem, the other a long-term solution to it altogether. And that's only going to happen with godly character. We can regulate our economy to curb all the abuses against things like dirty money and tyrannical monopolies and and fostering a consumer welfare state. But the real transformation is only going to come about through the development of godly Christian character. We can establish righteousness and justice and beauty in the land with character more than we can with anything else. Rules and laws are important. They can provide a temporary prop They can provide a temporary measure by which can hold things in check until such a time that character can be developed and and grown and things changing from the inside out. But the rules and the laws are not the primary focus. It doesn't begin with law. It doesn't end with law. It begins in a garden. It ends in a garden city. And the characteristic of that great new heavens and the new earth consummated, we see are beauty, and justice with a character. Its character was what changes the world around you more than anything else. Because what is essentially wrong with everything around us is bad character. It comes from the fall. It comes from that deceitful heart of man, which is wicked in all of his ways and all of his motivations and intents of his heart are evil continually. And unless that character is changed, everything else will be a flash in the pan or a temporary prop. Evangelism is absolutely necessary. A changed heart is quintessential. And it is a a grace that God gives to His people. And this is what Christ came to do here. He did not come to merely save us out of our plight. He came to transform us and and this whole earth and bring in the new heavens and the new earth and this great glorious vision that we saw last Lord's Day. He came to renew the fallen image, the marred image, His own image in man that has been skewed and marred and sent the cultural endeavors off against Him rather than to show forth His glory throughout all of the earth. But He came to renew this in a fallen humanity to make them a new humanity. And to restore the character of the righteous man, Christ Himself in us. Do you know when we pray, as we did this morning, of those three first petitions of the Lord's Prayer. Oh God, hallow your name, set it apart. We are praying that God's glory and the knowledge of His will will cover the face of this world as the waters cover the sea. And Lord, grant to me to do my part. What is my part in hallowing your name? You know what the next petition is? Thy kingdom come. And see, it did come in Christ. It is continuing to grow in me. The kingdom is within you. It is continuing to grow out of me. 
It is continuing to grow in the world. Lord Jesus, grow your kingdom. And what we pray is bring all under the lordship of the great King of kings and Lord of lords. And that starts with me praying, Lord, bring me under submission to your grand lordship. What a great place to be. What a beautiful place to have in the court of the great king. You know the next thing we pray after that? That God's will will be done. Where? On earth, as it is in heaven. And that's where we continue to find our place in the narrative. This morning I want to talk about the importance and the hard work of building godly character. I had prefaced this a few weeks back, and I better do it again. We went through five whole weeks of looking at salvation and the gospel to the individual is all of grace from the beginning to the end. It is God that works in me and through me to do of his goodwill and work and pleasure. Sanctification is not a synergistic work where I work and God works and we together work into making me more holy. That's not the idea. But sanctification is a work of grace in the Spirit making me righteous from the inside what I've been declared to be in God's judicial court on the outside. It is a monogistic work of God. But you know what grace does? It never leaves a man where it finds him. It's not content to leave him there. And it's going to take our work. Not to add to our sanctification, but to grow and to be trained in righteousness in this culture of the new heavens and the new earth. It's like we have now entered into a new place. And we have to learn the language of the culture. We have to learn the artifacts of the culture. We have to learn the beauty of the culture. We have to learn the worldview of the new culture. We have to learn all of how people relate in the new culture. We have to learn something completely different. And so we have to get our language book out, and we learn the foreign language before we fly over to wherever that country is that we're about to go visit. We have to figure out what the coin exchange is and figure out how to maneuver around and buy food and all of this. So there is a, a learning curve, and even the man of God has given the Word of God to train in righteousness all of our hearts. And this is... The faith that works. It's character. Let me see if I can clarify that a little bit more. There's a story of Itzhak Perlman that's widely known. Itzhak Perlman being probably the greatest or one of the greatest violin virtuosos that has ever lived. I had an opportunity to see him when I was a little boy in Jacksonville, Florida with my mom and dad. In 1995, after the time I actually saw him in Lincoln Center, New York, he comes out on the stage, and if you know him, he has been diseased with polio and crippled from the time of his early years. But he comes out very laboriously on stage, gets set and gets propped in his chair, and there he begins a concerto. And after some time, a string of his four-string violin pops. Customarily, if a virtuoso is playing a concerto, they would reach over to the first chair violin and immediately get the violin, and the concerto would pick back up. He did not do that that day, but paused for a second, nodded to the conductor to continue on. As he continued on, he continued the concerto on just three strings of the violin, something that many people think is quite impossible to do. It was called his finest moment. 
At the end of the concerto, the crowd rose with a standing ovation, and the end of which, when it settled down, he said, sometimes it is the artist's task to find out how much music you can still make with what remains. For Perlman to have been able to accomplish this great feat, when the moment happened, it took a lot of work and a lot of training and a lot of skill that had previously been poured into those lessons and the training of that music. He had been so trained on the instrument that when the moment came to improvise on three strings, a second nature took over. This is what some would call virtue. A transformation of character. Some would call this the power of habit having done all of those scales over and over, having learned to improvise on opposite strings. Others would say this is the result of experience and training, but the ancients would call it virtue. Virtue is a transformation of character. It's what happens when someone has made a thousand small choices requiring effort and concentration to do something which is right and good, but does not come naturally. And then on the thousand and one time, when it really matters, they find what they need to do automatically. It looks like it just happens or that it just happened naturally. But it was developed into a second nature. The Christian life should be lived in developing this virtue, the transformation of character. In verse 1 we see, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of your calling with which you were called. This calling that you have been called as a Christian is to hard work and labor in developing your godly Christian character. This is not undermining of grace or a meritorious work to gain God's favor in us, but rather the training of the Christian life and the character heading toward the new heavens and the new earth. Work out your salvation, it says, with fear and trembling. This is Christian training as a musician's training. And when you develop this character, it is that 1,001 time when you are called upon to do something for God that He has prepared for you, that will be your finest day. In order to develop this godly Christian character, three things are important to consider. Number one, you have to aim at the right goal. You have to begin with the end of mind. This is what we looked at last Lord's Day of the new heavens and the new earth. That is the goal for which we are heading. Number two, you have to figure out what steps you need to take to get to that goal. And number three, you have to work to make those steps habitual in your life. A matter of second nature. Now, God's grace does meet us where we are, but it's not content to leave us where we are, but it rather leads us and it enables us to replace bad habits of the old sinful life with the good habits characteristic of the new heavens and the new earth. And there is a connection between that which is future and that which I do today. Putting off the old man and putting on the new. Notice in verse 2 of our text, the essence of your calling. Your life's work as a Christian is about building Christian character with all lowliness, that's humility, and gentleness, and long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. This is character and life connected with the new heavens and the new earth. When we read the, the Beatitudes, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who are humble. And while those are not rules for us to go out and obey so that then we can have reward, they are characteristic of the kingdom people. 
And they are also something that we are to grow in this character. And guess what happens when you grow in the character of meekness, which is indicative of the kingdom people, what do you inherit? Oops. The earth, right? The earth. This is where it's all going in the resurrection, see? That's why those characteristics given in the Beatitudes and this blessedness is not mere happiness. It includes happiness, but it includes a happiness where God is at work developing these things in us. Moving it toward the telos. So this character building occurs within us and in relation to the community of believers that he has called us to. And that's why in verse 3 it says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And then we have the oneness, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us, one, 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 be of one in this. And this character building is going to happen in relationship with each other. Forbearance and love and gentleness, long-suffering. All those are even nonsensical if you're isolated by yourself. These are going to happen in community. And that is why unity and communion in the body is so essential to your main calling of growing in this Christian character. The difference between Christian virtue and the the virtue of ancient pagans is that ancient pagan virtue, and particularly of the Greeks, was cultivated in hero figures, the brave, resourceful leaders, especially in war. And of course, the world still embraces that kind of virtue today. But Christian virtue, by definition, is not like that. It's a team sport can only be effectively grown when each member at large in this diverse team is doing his own unique and distinctive part in careful relationship to each other. And that's where we see in the Scripture that we are to grow up into one new man where every part does its share. According to the gifts and the grace that He's given you, we all work together as joints and ligaments to the growth of the church. You want to know about church growth ideas? This is it right here in Ephesians 4. The Christian living and character, this transformation, is with a view to the end. Where are we heading? That's why we looked at that vision of last Lord's Day. And we live in anticipation of going and being consummated in the fullness of our resurrection in the new heavens and the new earth. And we let that life of the resurrection there and then inform us how to live here and now. We do that by anticipation. The things in the glorified life of the new heavens and the new earth really do have a connection, a connecting point with what we do, and who we are about, and how we live, and how we relate to each other in the present time. It is as much as our future resurrection has to do with these self-same bodies being raised out of this earth, as it is the connection with our lives today with the new heavens and the new earth as we anticipate the final glory that we not only wait for, but that we live for. So that the things that we do in this life will carry into the new heavens and the new earth after the trying fires. We'll burn up all the wood, hay, and the stubble and the waste of our lives. But the precious stone and those good works that come along after do make it and endure. So the things we do in this life do attribute to the life that is to come.
The way we live life today is by anticipating the new heavens and the new earth. And in the light of that, we now see our marching orders. We see where it's going. We see the trajectory we're on. Anticipation informs our current living. Perhaps you check the forecast today. If you check the forecast, and the forecast showed 100% rain, and you anticipate that result by putting on your raincoat and grabbing your umbrella, even though you thought, or even at the present time, the sun is shining, you are anticipating the rain. Your anticipation is not only thinking about what may happen, but it is doing something about it in advance. That's the idea. That's what your Christian life is about. We live today in faith. Abraham walked by faith, seeing a city whose maker and builder was God and lived in the light of that way back then. And Jesus says, Abraham longed to see my day. And he saw it and was glad, and he ordered his life accordingly. We are called to live in the likeness of that. But we have much greater vision. We have greater clarity. We have greater grace and power and glory as we then look to the resurrected life. As one author says it this way, as we anticipate the full reality of our resurrection, we can partake in that final reality in advance. We can draw down some of God's future into our own present moment The rationale for this is that Jesus, that in Jesus, that future has already burst into our present time. So that in anticipation, or anticipating that which is to come, we are also implementing that which has already taken place. We've discussed this as we live in the present, connected to the past, but touching the future. As we think about the anamnesis and the prolepsis, It gives great meaning to this time when we come together in God's space today. Where Jesus is the mediator between God and man. He is that which is in heaven and that which is on earth. He is embodied in flesh and blood and connected to the earth here in the resurrection. It is sacramentally that we are going to join in this great heaven and earth connection and the new heavens and the new earth and have a foretaste of the great supper of the Lamb. Today, we are going to anticipate that by joining in the present as the future is connected to our eternal moment. This is mysterious and a mystery how all this comes about, but but Jesus has broken in to this world to, to inaugurate the kingdom. He was a Messiah who died on the cross, rose the third day in flesh and blood today, is seated at the right hand of God who has already merged heaven and earth in a first fruits kind of way. We now anticipate that in a fullness and so live in the light of that glory. Changing this world by taking his image into the world as kings and priests with his character. The character of this old world or the old habits that we see in verses 17 through 19. I say therefore and testify that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. That's old stuff there that's been put away, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, ignorance, because of the blindness of their heart, who past feelings have given themselves over to lewdness, the work of all uncleanness and greediness, that is what came very naturally to a fallen man, unregenerate in this world. That is how you and I used to be before Christ. The impulses of our heart spring forth into this kind of behavior. From the inside out was this character. Yeah. Spontaneously erupting in 
anger and lewd things because that's who we were. But that's not who we still are. That is our first nature. The Christians are no longer of this old world. We are in Christ. And in Christ, who is already a part of the new heavens and the new earth, because he is resurrected, see? You see how all these dots are beginning to connect? We're longing for the resurrection. We're still looking for it. He already has it. He is already there. And we have the first part of this. Even though the final consummation has not yet come, we are in Christ, a part of it already. And this meal is going to connect us in a grand and glorious, mysterious way. That's what Paul was getting at when he said in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Because Christ has been raised from the dead and is the first fruits of our resurrection, he is already a part of that which we are longing for. He's already there, though he's not here in the way he will come the second time. And because he is already a part of the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth, in body form, yeah, bodily, flesh, blood, earthy, but heavenly, because he is a part of that, so are you. That's why you're seated together with Christ in the heavenlies. Colossians says, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. The Apostle Paul would say in Galatians, it is not I who live, but Christ who lives within me. But our text goes on to say, but you have not so learned Christ. You've not been trained this way. You've not been trained in the ways of the world you have learned of Christ in a different way. You have grown in this way. And you continue to grow in the knowledge and the grace of the Lord Jesus. If indeed you have heard him and been taught by him as the truth is in him. Now that gives us the activity of our calling in verse 22 that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. This is something we do. You have to break the old habits of your old life and your old character because you're no longer of that nature. But you're going to have to break those old patterns and ways and habits. And you have to form the new character, renewed in Christ in the new heavens and the new earth. That's your trajectory. That's your vision. And the vision dictates what you ought to be about today. You see the vision. We know the end from the beginning, and now here we are. We need to set to work that which is where we're heading. This brings a lot of confusion to particularly Reformed people who know that we are justified by grace. We are also sanctified in the same way. That the work that we begin in our justification, we don't complete it in our flesh, Galatians would tell us and inform us, brings a lot of confusion in terms of really the activity that we're to be about. And, and I see a lot of recoil against some in the Reformed perspectives now pushing against this kind of notion because it's all of grace. And what I find is a very lax and very characteristic of the old life and not a lot of development going on in their holiness and sanctification by the work of the Spirit, but that includes their tremendous activity. And I would caution us not to fall into that trap. We're right up on the knife edge, people. Right on that knife edge. And you need to come all the way up to it, or there's absolutely the wasted life and presumptuous upon the grace of God. You go too far, and you fall off into that works-based, salvific, meritorious aspects of creating your own holiness with the help of God. Both of those fall into the ditch 
on either side. We're right up on the knife edge. The command here to our volition, those little small decisions, those thousand little decisions that we make with concentrated effort, but be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put on the new man which was created according to God and true righteousness and holiness. What is necessary in walking worthy of the vocation with which you have been called is a great transformation of your character. It starts with seeing the goal in the new heavens and the new earth, with human beings raised from the dead, in a character which is surrounded with beauty and justice. And secondly, it, it is not only seeing the goal firstly, but secondly, to know that this goal is achieved through kingdom-established work of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. It is this kingdom-establishing work of Jesus and the Holy Spirit which we grasp by faith, we participate in baptism and the Lord's Supper, and we live it out in love. And third, we live today in the light of that goal by anticipating the rain and putting on our jackets and grabbing our umbrella, by anticipating the ultimate reality of this spirit-led, habit-forming development of the Christian virtues of faith, love, and hope. And the greatest of these is love. And this character formation in the image of God, we see that there will be great power and influence in the world as we reflect the glory of God. That's going to change the world. That's what's going to change it long term. That's what's going to change it for good. That's where this whole thing is going. And what this means for us who are saved by grace is that we need to be about our calling. Walk worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Be diligent to make your calling and election sure. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And what the Bible is not commending there is a meritorious work for your salvation. It is showing the actual activity of the fruits of a faith that works out into a world in love for God. See, this is the work of character building today. It's going to provide the power to transform the world. It's got to begin in you, but it won't, it won't just stay in you. It's going to then ooze itself out, out into the world around you in the gospel and the power that is the, the power to change you from the inside out. But don't think you're going to go out and change the world without it. Wood, hay, and stubble that will be. But that which will endure into the new heavens and the new earth and participates in it will be that character that is exhibited in glory which will stand through the fires of the judgment and will be the the gold and the precious to all those beautiful things that we saw in the city. Paul spoke of and how we go about our ministry in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And that's why beauty is so often associated not with just merely outward appearance of things and people, but with godly character, with God. We worship Him today in the beauty of holiness. It is the beauty of a godly wife and a quiet and meek spirit that will transform even her unbelieving husband. It is the beauty of love that will beautify the wife by her husband's character. It is the character of Jesus that rattled Pilate to his core. And those lasting things, those enduring works, will be those which are done with godly character. You need to be about that. That's what I need to be about. That's what marriages need to be about. That's what you need to be about in training your children. 
And after a lot of hard work and training your mind and your body and your spirit, making a thousand little decisions, which does require your effort and concentration to do something which is good and right, but it doesn't come naturally, but it's beginning to form you and train you, then on that thousand and one time, when it really matters, when your shining moment comes, you will fall back on your training and find that what you do in that moment and that which is required of you happens automatically as second nature because it's been developed. There's nothing more important in your life than developing your Christian character by the grace of God to shine forth his image into the world. And only then will we be able to take the dominion as God's vicegerents, as effective priests and kings. May God help us to see this vision and to know that our life lived today matters even right into the eternal new heavens and the new earth. What we do today is connected to our future and into our resurrected life as we live in Christ and Christ lives in us so that his glory will cover the earth as the waters do the sea. Our gracious Father, we ask that you would help us We know that we are up on the knife edge and on a very important place as we consider the Scriptures, knowing that grace continues to work in us and through us, taking the Scripture, giving us the vision, showing us the pattern, giving us the examples, and leading us in the way by the Spirit, in the power of the Gospel, to continue to grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grant us, Lord, the specific application so that we would not be apathetic or lethargic in our spirit in taking heed to our calling and that we might walk worthy of this calling in Christ Jesus so that we would shine as lights in this dark world. Lord, this gives purpose to the least and to the greatest. It gives identity to everyone here in Christ. That no matter what we do, we do all to the glory of God, even though we just eat and drink or wash the dishes or tie our shoe in the morning. Lord, as we do all things unto you, we ask that you would develop us and develop Christ and his character in us as we behold his glory, seeing him high and lifted up, whose train fills the temple, change us from glory to glory into his likeness so that your name will be glorified and hallowed and your kingdom will come and your will will be done here on earth as it's done perfectly by your angels in heaven today. May that be true in each of our lives and the life of this church. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.